next to me comes with the fajitas. Don't you hate that? You know, it's popping, it looks great, and you know, so you'll order something, then somebody at the table will order something that sounds better. You know, I don't, I don't like settling. You know, I, I like to get the most out of life. Even like, um, you, you now I, I'm being challenged by Pokemon Go, and yeah, that's right. And so Spencer the other day asked me if I would like to update my AV man or something like that. And I said, sure, Spencer, update away. I don't know what it means, but now I have an updated whatever it was. Uh, you know, we don't like to settle. And so, you know, we, we, we get the, try to get the most out of whatever circumstance we're going through. We, we want to get the most out of our, when we buy a house, we, we, we look, we shop, we, we want a house that, that meets our needs. We, we don't want to settle. We don't, we don't want to settle in schooling. When we're going through school, we, we want to make sure that we we get the right schooling. When we go to a medical doctor, amen, <laughs> we don't want to settle. You know, we, we don't want to have a, a, an online degree from some college in the South Pacific, right? <laughs> we, we don't want to settle in life. We, we don't want to settle for, for, for anything in our jobs. We want the best jobs that we can get. And, and so we don't like to settle. First John, as we've been going through First John, is a call not to settle in our relationship with God. Uh, John says, and, and we've been using this phrase, J John is saying God sees more in us than we see in us. That, that, that somehow in 1 John there's this ideal that, that the church is beginning to settle for something less. And John's saying don't settle. You ever have that parent or Maybe it was a teacher or a coach or, or somebody of influence. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher or a pastor that saw something in you and encouraged you to live for more. First John is written in that vein. And, and it's old man John. John's coming to the end of his ministry, the end of his life. John is elderly and he's looking at a church that's starting to compromise and starting to settle in their walk with God, that's starting to be pulled aside by other philosophies and a lesser theology, another way of looking at things that's different than what Jesus has taught. They're, being, they're beginning to be pulled away from Jesus Christ. An old man, John, in his old age, is saying, church, don't settle. Oh, that may be kind of where we are at, right? Can we be honest enough to say that at times it seems like in our spiritual walk that we settle for less than what God has in mind for us? And John's saying, don't settle. Don't settle for less than what Jesus has brought. And God has brought life. And I think when we hear that phrase, we have a tendency to think in spiritual terms. And, you know, God's, Jesus brings spiritual life. And sometimes in our life, I believe we can, we can divide our secular life from our spiritual life. And the Bible doesn't teach that. God teaches all of life is sacred. Everything you do this week is sacred and belongs to God. And so when, when Jesus talks about bringing life, he's not talking about heaven versus hell. He's talking about life in the here and now. You know, there is a heaven and there is a hell and, and there's an eternity that we're concerned about. But Jesus came to bring life now.
And I think John would say, don't settle. In your life, in your work life, in your family life, in your relationship life, in your church life, in all that you do, don't settle. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's John 10.10. If you highlight your Bible at all, I think that would be a verse I would highlight. Jesus has come that we might have life. And John's saying, don't settle for less. In your relationship with others and in your work life and your school life and in all that you do, don't settle for less. Jesus has come to bring us life. In the here and now, in the here and after, Jesus has come to bring us life. So let's continue. First John, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So, so what is this hope? John's talking about, and we're going we're to go through the Scripture a little bit slower today. John's talking about this hope. What is this hope? John's talking about a hope that God is working on us, that, that God's work in and through us is not done. And i got to say, as a follower of Jesus, I say, amen, that God's not done with me. What about you? <laughs> I'm glad for that hope that that this work that has begun in me is still going. That he who has begun a good work in me is faithful and will complete it. That that God is not finished with Paul. That he's still working in my heart and my life. There's this hope that God will appear. I don't know about you. And, And maybe it's Maybe it's an A. I can remember a time when I was in my, a younger man, when I thought, man, I hope God holds off on coming back because I really want to live some life. Anybody else honestly say that you've thought like that? I got to tell you, looking at the newspapers today and watching the news and considering, I wish he would come soon. You know, I know there's lost people that we're, we're praying for that will get saved, but I'm ready for God to return. I'm ready for Jesus to return and set this all right. What about you? You know, it's not going to happen in Pennsylvania. It's not going to happen because of a convention in Cleveland. It's not going to happen in November or January when we, we, we inaugurate a new person in the White House. It's not going to happen in any of these things. It's going to happen when Jesus returns. But when Jesus returns, all this mess will be set right. So I have hope. You have hope. Because our God says, as sure as Jesus left, Jesus will return. My annual report, I'm going to talk a little bit about about that during the Sunday school hour. And I I got to tell you, I'm not an end times guy. I'm sorry if, if that's something you enjoy, then there's plenty of guys that write books and have TV shows on that, but that's just not me. I, you know, it never, it never has been. I, you know, I, I 
it's not ever really fascinated me. And I don't know when Jesus will return. Um, You know, if, if Jesus were to return today, I wouldn't be surprised, would you? But whether Jesus returns today or whether Jesus returns a thousand years from now, it doesn't matter because people are dying every day and going to hell and needing Jesus. And so we as a church, although we have this hope, I hope we have some urgency about what we're involved in here. We have this hope that God will return, that Jesus will return. We, 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 we don't have fear, we have hope. And in verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Okay, let, let's stop right there. We, we've got these two phrases. We've got sin and lawlessness. And, and so I think it's helpful that we, we, we look at at what John is trying to have us see, that the law to John here is God's way. It's not just the Old Testament. It's just not a, a set of rules. But when John is talking about God's law, he's talking about God's way. Now, now I think when you talk about God's way, you need to think broadly. He, he's not just talking about a particular thing or particular things you do or do not do, but, but he's talking about this direction, this, this way, this path that God would have us walk on. Now, now, to me, this is an optimistic, this is a positive thing. I think sometimes we think of God's way and, and, and we, we begin to think that this is something negative. That this is what God is making me do. But, but I don't think John saw it like that. And I don't think believers who are mature in their faith see it like that. I believe what we understand is God has this way of life and hope and meaning and grace And he is inviting us to walk on it. And sin is insisting on doing things my own way. That is the essence of sin. And when you break it down then, sin means I am insisting on walking on a pathway full of death and hatred and ugliness and God is inviting me to walk on a path of life and beauty and grace. When you stop and consider it, as a rational, reasonable human being, if we were to weigh the benefits of each path, the, the pathway of God versus the pathway, my own pathway, the pathway of sin, it makes no sense to walk on this road, does it? Verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. <laughs> wow. Can, can we pause just for a moment on, I mean, I mean, Take that scripture in, what what John is trying to say. John is trying to say that that when Jesus came, John's understanding of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross was that it was not partial, but it was complete. That, That Jesus came 
and gave his life so that we can not be overcome by sin, but so that we can overcome sin in our life. And that's a, I'll just give you a, a good a hint here. That's a good time to say amen. <laughs> that, that what Jesus has done is sufficient. It's enough. The, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is enough for you in your life to overcome sin. And John, I believe John sees this as profound. So can we go back? You know, to, to, to walk on my own way is to walk in death and ugliness and hatred and to walk on the path of God is to walk on life and beauty and love. John's saying, I want you to know that what Jesus did is enough so that you can practically, day to day, on your Monday through Saturdays, you know, it's, nobody sins on Sunday, right? We're in church. <laughs> on your Monday through Saturdays, on your Sundays, you can walk Jesus' sacrifice and the work of the Holy Spirit is sufficient that we can walk on the way of life and love and beauty. John's saying, don't settle. Don't settle for anything other than real life. Verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. And once again, we get to this word. I know as I began this study of 1 John, if you were to look at, at a, a commentary or a book on 1 John, almost all of them will say, well, love is the central feature and love is significant in 1 John. But, but we're already more than halfway through the book and the central theme is not love, but abiding, remaining, staying, keeping firm. And I believe it's because this is the, the problem in this church. The problem in this church is they're starting to stray. They're starting to settle. They're starting to, to wander off. And John's saying, abide, lock in. It's all about relationship. We understand that, right? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we understand that all that we do is about relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not. Jesus didn't come to establish a new religion. He came to establish a restored relationship. And there's a big difference. I mean, there's lots of religions in the world. There's lots of rules we can keep. There's lots of rituals we can do. But, but what we do is designed, or hopefully it leads us to this point of deeper relationship abiding. And I'll tell you this, that this is fundamental. Religion cannot transform. Relationship transforms. Religion can conform us, Right? I mean, it can give us a model, it can push it, it can begin to create boundaries in our life. But true transformation, if you want to be transformed in a, with, by Jesus Christ, it will not come through a religious experience, it will come through a relationship with Him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And First John is saying, don't settle for less. Don't settle 
for a religious experience when Jesus is offering this abiding relationship. I don't know. I just want to stop here because this is so important. Maybe, and it's possible. I've done it. And I think most people, if you're honest, would say there's been times in your life you've done it. It's possible to know all the lingo, to know the language, right? It's possible to know what you do and don't do in the church. It's possible to know... um, you know, uh, what to wear and how to look and when to smile and when to say amen and when to do all these things. It's possible to know all those buzzwords and, and, and characteristics of a Christian but not have it inside. It's possible to just go through the motions. And John's saying, no, my friend Jesus... And you know, that's how he saw Jesus. This wasn't the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, that's who it was. My friend Jesus, my brother Jesus, didn't come and suffer and die for religion. But he came and he did that so he can abide within you and change you from the inside out. And and maybe, just maybe, you've kind of lost that. I want you to know that we believe, I believe God is everywhere. Do you believe that? (laughs) But when we gather, I think there's a special synergy. (laughs) That's a a worldly term, I guess, we use now, but I think it helps us understand that where two or three are gathered in his name, the Holy Spirit is present. And I believe as we've gathered in here with the purpose of, and, and the understanding that God is here, that there is a significant presence in here. And, and, and at some point, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit may be dealing with you right now. Maybe you just need to say yes to God. And, and I would say, don't wait till you get home. Because you know what? You get distracted. Uh, you have an enemy of your soul that will take you right out of this moment. And so as, as God's speaking, be obedient this morning. Lord, help us not to pass through these moments too quickly. Lord, I have a message, but what you would do is more important than any message I might have. So speak to your people, and Lord, as you speak, may we be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. The one who practices righteousness righteousness is righteous. In other words, John's saying our behavior should be affected by our relationship with God. Now, Now sometimes we get this confused. You will always ever be saved by grace and grace alone, right? We realize that. That I am saved not by my own righteousness, not by anything I do, but I am saved, I am sanctified, I am am full of the Spirit by the initiative, the grace, the love of God. 
So, so when we begin to think, oh, well, I'll do all these right things and I'll earn God's love, it's impossible that I'll earn God's favor. We are always saved by grace. But in the midst of this relationship, when we're truly in relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes how we live. If we're not more forgiving because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, then maybe we need to check the extent of the relationship. If we're not more generous because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I think we need to go and check maybe the relationship to make sure that it's active in life. If we're not walking in greater purity and greater maturity and greater understanding... See, see, I believe relationship with Jesus Christ is transforming, and it's a lifelong transformation. (laughs) Now, righteousness is about relationship. Righteousness is about relationship with God and others. That that when you think righteousness, it's not just this personal piety. That personal piety is fine, but, but, but... But righteousness is more than just those things. Righteousness affects how we relate to other people, how we interact with God. Righteousness sometimes can be translated justice. And the word justice, when you hear the word justice, justice is not, in a biblical sense of the term, protection from others, but it's care for others. That that somehow, if we are people who are practicing justice, we are concerned for those who are being abused. And righteousness can can sometimes, you can almost see love in righteousness. As we're righteous, the love of God becomes evident in our life. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, what what do we learn just from this overall passage? what, What is, if we were to break this down, what is God's desire for us? God's desire is first off that we're living as children. As we went through verses 1 through 10, there, there is this living as children, this ideal of being children of the Most High King. And, and so I, I think when you, you think of that phrase, living as children, you, you think of living in a love relationship. It, it, it's, it's a relationship that's built on trust. It's, it, it's a relationship that, that's built with a, a realization that God is the giver of good gifts, that that God sustains, that that God provides, that God is the giver of life in in our our life. I think when you think of children and living as children, you also have this ideal of a continuing legacy. That, That as I've invested in my boys, they will invest in others. That, that as I, you know, Wyatt's moving to Portland, Oregon. That is a long ways away, right? And, um, you know, I, I've been okay with it. Because God has called him there to serve. 
And as much as we're going to miss him, as much as it's not really what, you know, I wish he was, I wish he had been called to London, Ohio, right? As much as we're going to miss him, I have invested, I have loved him, we have brought him to church, we have had him in Sunday school, we have had him at vacation Bible schools, we have sent him at camps, and we've released him to God's care a long time ago. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like Wyatt's continuing the legacy that we've invested in him. See, I think God wants us to see that legacy, his legacy continued in us. That that we say, oh man, man, my heavenly father loved me and he gave to me and he sent his spirit to to indwell me and sent Jesus to die for me and 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 we begin to understand the characteristics of God and we want to live those characteristics out. That our father's legacy becomes our legacy. Let me ask you, are you trusting? Are you continuing the legacy? Are you looking more like your heavenly father? I I act and look more like my parents every day. Um, Pray for me. I tell you, if we had an anointing service for that, about half of you'd be up front here, wouldn't you? God's desire is that we overcome sin. You know, there's a decision and there's a process to this. It's, it, 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 it's a decision that, God, I'm going to put this, I'm going to lay this before you, and I, I'm going to allow you to work. I'm going to trust your spirit. There, you know, it's, it's not managing sin, but it's a call to overcome sin. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, says, the gospel of sin management produces vampire Christians who want Jesus for his blood and little else. <laughs> See, I believe that God's calling us to overcome sin, not be overcome by sin. Not just to manage it. He's not calling us to this floundering, failing relationship, but this this relationship where we're practicing righteousness, that we're abiding in Him, that we're trusting in Him. And when I use the phrase righteousness, it's not just a state of mind, but it's love practically and really expressed. See, God sees more in us than we see in us. And God sees in us, through the power of His Holy Spirit, the ability to overcome sin in our life. Verse 9 says that God's seed is abiding in us. And, and, and I think that's an interesting part of this passage when he begins to talk about God's seed and and I've highlighted that in my Bible and I wonder how do you apply this ideal of the seed and as we're coming to a close here who's my gardeners in here who likes to grow flowers or plants okay three of you um, yeah I think as I think about gardeners I you know I think about seeds you know seeds start they're small and then seeds can grow. I mean, you get a huge tree out of a seed. And so in the seed, there's that process that covers the gamut. And I think in this room, probably there are people that are at every point of the journey. Maybe, maybe God's just beginning to speak to you and you're trying to figure out what it means. I hope 
that this place is a place that's open enough that somebody can come here and, and just begin to question what God means to them, right? Maybe you've served him for a long time. And, and I think in this reference to a seed, I, I, I think it has meaning to us all. How do we grow the God seed within us? Well, first, there's, there's the intentional action. When you plant a seed, you know you're intentional. You know, you put it in the garden, you put it in the field. And so there's a decision to plant. And so choices affect what we grow in our life. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so as we're thinking about this seed that's in our life, this God seed, we need to think about what we're intentionally sowing in our life. Bitterness grows bitterness. Hatred grows hatred. Love grows love. Generosity grows love. Forgiveness grows forgiveness. And so for some of us, myself included, there's times in my life that I just have to decide to cultivate, to plant something different. All of us have situations in our life where we can hold grudges, right? It's in those situations that we can intentionally plant something differently. So there's this intentional action. There's the intentional, you know, the, the choices that we make. We will grow what we practice. Can you say that with me? We will grow what we practice. What if you saw whatever circumstance you're going through as an opportunity to intentionally grow the God seed in you? What if this this hurt, this conflict was an opportunity to plant forgiveness and love and grow love and forgiveness in your life? What, what if this, this unknown circumstance was an opportunity to plant faith in your life and grow faith? So there, there's an intentionality to this that, that we as rational thinking human beings, we, we, we are rational human beings, right? You know, John Wesley, some of us, you know, John Wesley spent so much time talking about our ability to reason and think. He is a child of the Enlightenment, and he talked in those terms. And, and I believe that's what I appreciate about our church as we consider these things. You know, I don't, I don't come as a, a preacher that just gives you a bunch of stuff and you accept it, but, but we think about things, right? And so we can intentionally, reasonably respond to our circumstances. The other thing is sustained attention. Gardens take attention. They planted, they put the sod down at my house at the end of June. Thank you very much, builder. Uh, you know, my sod has become my part-time job, right? I am watering this thing all the time. Uh, and gardens take attention. You know, you, you've got to plant them. You, you've got to weed them. You know, I, I can remember many Saturday mornings at early, early, early break of dawn, at least 10.30 or 11. Um, <laughs> Mom waking me up to go weed the garden. I tell you what, I would have rather butchered a cow with, with my bare hands than weed that garden. 
It took work. You know, if you don't weed, you know, you're not going to get any produce. So, so we need a, a, a continued attention to the seed that's planted in our life. We, 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 we need to talk to other people. We, we need to invest in, we, we need to be praying. We need to be learning. We, we need to be continuing to pay attention to that seed. And then finally, a continued growth. You know, there, there's a natural result to a decision to plant. And there's a natural result to continued attention. I believe in almost all circumstances. Now, there's times in our life where God's clearer than others, right? But in the life of a believer, when a seed is planted and we intentionally take care of that seed, I believe there should be maturity and growth in our life. So I've kind of got a difficult question for you this morning. Is the God seed within you growing? Are, are, are you further along than you were five months ago, five years ago? Or if you were honest, would you say, you know, no, really, probably I've regressed or it's not grown at all. Now, before you say, well, pastor, if you just preach better, <laughs> maybe that's part of it, I don't know. But are you paying attention to the sea? Are you being intentional? All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Who would just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm hearing God speak and I need to do something. Uh, maybe it's a new commitment. Maybe it's a renewed commitment. Would you just raise your hand? Hands all over. I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, right now, we just pray for these hands that have been lifted. Uh, Lord, and uh, we pray that you'll... Um, Reveal and draw and allow them, Lord, just to sense your spirit in a fresh way this morning. Lord, I, I don't believe that um, what we do here has to be based on fear or guilt. But Lord, we can just allow your spirit to prompt and lead us into something better. Help us not to settle. Help us not to settle to to a, a life of sin management when you give us the opportunity to overcome sin by, sin by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help, help us not to, to settle for a life of going through the motions or, or settle for a, a shallow Christianity when you're calling us to this deep walk where we're walking in relationship with you through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless those who've been here today, whoever, whether hands have been raised or not, may, may we be obedient to your Holy Spirit. And Lord, whatever you ask us to do, may we do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless. We're going to take about five minutes, and uh, if, if you're interested, you want to stay, we'll be having a, uh, our annual meeting here at about... Uh, about